please rise in body or spirit for our call to worship. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Let your work be manifest to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and prosper for us the work of our hands. Oh, prosper the work of our hands.
of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, God of Jedediah, of Albert, of Ernest and Baron, God of Barbara, Mindy, and Jerry, God of every time and every generation, we give you thanks for your enduring presence with us throughout the ages. And we thank you for the many saints who have gone before us, creating a way out of no way, dreaming our presence here today into existence. You, O oh God, who has carried us in love, in hope, in loss, in grief, in memories and in community, we praise you, trusting that you will continue to carry us throughout our lives and into the next. Abide here with us this day, we pray in the name of the triune God. Grace and peace to you, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia on this special Sunday as we celebrate 325 years of ministry in the city of Philadelphia. Welcome to everyone gathered in this space, as well as to everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of God. And because it is in Christ's house that we have gathered, that means that our word of welcome is one that, as always, is extended with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, if you would kindly sign the friendship pad. You'll find that on your pew. If you'll sign it and send it down and back again, that will give us the advantage of each other's names that we might greet one another by name at the conclusion of this service. And likewise, I would like to invite everyone to a time of fellowship, a special time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall. If you have worshiped with us for many years and never made that short walk down the hall to Old Buttonwood, this would definitely be the day to do it. Uh, the deacons have been hard at work along with our commemoration committee putting together a wonderful champagne reception for us. There is new original artwork to be debuted today, to be unveiled, so there is much to celebrate if you will come with us to Old Buttonwood Hall at the conclusion of this service. It's just out this door to my right, down a very short ramp. There you will find the celebration goes on. As always, there are a number of opportunities to plug in deeply to the life of faith here at First Church that you will find on the rear cover of your bulletin. I'm not going to highlight them for you today. It's rather a full service, so I'm simply going to move to our Minute for Stewardship, which comes to us today from Diane Rogers. Good morning, friends. I'm a bit of a dinosaur. And as I look around at all of you, I see a few other dinosaurs as well. Those of us with a fairly long history at this church. Not 325 years, of course, but a good amount. 40 years in my case. I joined as a single woman in 1983. Don and I were married here in 1984. Our children grew up here. And last year, our daughter Carrie was married here. And her baby, Maddie, with husband James, was baptized here last spring. I will surely die here. 
with ashes placed in our already precious columbarium niche. I remember when life was quite different here, with lots of family dinners, Shrove Tuesday pancake suppers, potluck gatherings, annual picnics in various parks, and the Harvest Festival all finding place in the calendar. I had served on both the trustees and the session and chaired and participated in many, many, many committees. You would certainly agree with me that this has been and continues to be my life center. There is no other place like this in my life a place of longevity, of close friends, of treasured community, of learning and seeking and sharing and giving. Jesse Garner spoke a few weeks ago about First and Second Church's early congregations, and I felt many of us resonated with our link to the past, our gratitude for those forefathers and foremothers and our commitment to continuing this community into the future. Years ago, when we read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together as a Lenten Discipline, I was struck by the depth of what a Christian community could be. The editor's introduction to Life Together puts it this way. Christ is depicted as the embodiment both of God and Christians who are moved to do what without Christ, they would be unable to accomplish, to live together sharing faith, hope, and self-giving in a prayerful, compassionate, caring community. The Christ of life together is the binding force of that community in its togetherness, bracing Christians to go beyond the superficial often self-centered relationships of their everyday associations toward a more intimate sense of what it means to be Christ to love to others, to love others as Christ has loved them and as Christ has loved us. We are with each other as we proclaim our faith in God and in Jesus Christ. We are with each other when we have profound doubts and we are also with each other when we have lost our faith. I carry you at times, and you carry me. And as we continue to do the work that we have been called to do, to love our neighbors, to uphold each other, and to live in hope, I am profoundly grateful to be sharing this journey with all of you. Thanks be to God. For 325 years now, this congregation has offered the people of Philadelphia and beyond a consistent and sacred invitation to return back to God, back to one another, and back to ourselves. Through our confession, we stand in a long line of imperfect saints who dare to speak truthfully about the ways we have separated ourselves from God through our sin trusting that our God is compassionate and filled with grace. We are invited here today once again to come before the divine, 
seeking God's forgiveness and repair. So come, let us speak our truth to God, just as generations of believers have done before us, first in unison and then in silence. Let us pray. Eternal God, as we contemplate the mystery by which your sustaining spirit has led us through all our days, we rest in the promises of our baptism. We take comfort in the assurance of your presence and loving kindness. We are chastened when we remember the ways that we have sinned and ask your forgiveness. Assured of your pardon and your healing mercies in our lives, we dare to come to the feast that you have prepared for us. In this moment, as we prepare our hearts to gather at your table and sing your praises with all the saints of every time and place, we ask that you would once more renew us and restore us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. very good news of this day is that we do not live to ourselves, nor do we die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. God forgives us, God accepts us, and God calls us God's own. Friends, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
Our first scripture lesson is taken from the Psalter, Psalm 121. Let us read responsively. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade by your right hand. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. This ends the first reading from the Psalter. Our second reading of scripture comes from Hebrews. We read in the 12th chapter, the first two verses. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In his inaugural sermon at Charlotte's First Presbyterian Church in 1972, 
the late Carswell Hughes began with a question. The members of every congregation ought periodically to ask themselves, what is it that makes us a church? What are we as a congregation to do? Or better yet, what are we as a congregation to be? He concludes, today as you begin the slow and sometimes painful process of breaking in a new minister, you should ask yourselves these questions and then recommit yourselves to what you feel called to be and to do. As I read those words, it put me in mind of something I said to you the very first day that I met you as a congregation. I probably ought to say this a little bit more often, at least to myself, if not to us all. The minute we say that we are a church, we have articulated a fully developed mission statement. We know what we are supposed to do to share the good news of the gospel, to feed the hungry, to befriend the lonely, to share the love of God and the grace of Jesus Christ widely. All that remains is to figure out how to do it. Or something like that. I've noticed that every time I say it, the uh, part about what we're supposed to do shifts a little this way or that. But it always ends with the love of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. In retrospect, I probably should add a clause about the Holy Spirit, if we're being theologically correct. And it has been on my mind, because today is the Sunday after All Saints Day, a day on which we remember those we have loved and lost, and give thanks to God for their lives. It is a day in which we think about what it is to be church. It has been on my mind because today we culminate a year of observances that began last fall as we gave thanks to God for 150 years of ministry in this building, in this very sanctuary and ends today as we give thanks for the witness of 325 years of this congregation. I cannot think of a better day than all saints to remember that we drink from wells we did not dig and we harvest from orchards we did not plant. We have so much for which we may be deeply grateful, even as we reflect on what it means to be church. For those who wish to plumb the depths of our history, we have remembered a great deal this year. Much of our earliest history is lost to the mists of time, we date the formation of this congregation from 1698 because that is the year this congregation called Jedediah Andrews as our first pastor. Since we do not have a better date, I suppose that one's as good as any. That said, I am sure that our forebears had been organized for a while 
if they were able to get it together enough to call a pastor. Besides which, congregations are not defined by their pastors, or at least they shouldn't be. Indeed, our forebears could quickly have answered what made them church, and despite all of the names carved into the sides of this pulpit, it wasn't their pastor. They would surely have been well-versed in the teachings of John Calvin regarding the marks of the true church. Calvin wrote the pure ministry of the word and the pure mode of celebrating the sacraments are, as we say, sufficient pledge and guarantee that we may safely embrace as church any society in which these marks exist. But absent listening to what I am sure were the stem-winding sermons of Mr. Andrews, what actually made this congregation tick in those earliest years? We surely haven't survived for 325 years on sermons alone. Now, any answer we might hazard to guess will necessarily be somewhat inexact, but we do know what the Presbyterian churches that were birthed from this mother of us all did. As the Presbyterians arrived on the frontier, schools, and hospitals followed them. If we pan forward to the era remembered in Jesse Garner's recent lectures about our history as part of the settlement house movement of the 19th century, we see that the attention to care for community continued to define the common life of this congregation. And we could conclude that it all comes down to sharing the good news of the gospel feeding the hungry, befriending the lonely, and sharing the love of God and the grace of Jesus Christ widely. But our past could teach us another lesson. We do well to remember how very tenuous the life of this congregation has been again and again. Congregations, we well know, are not defined only by the highest moments of our lives together, but also, perhaps more deeply even, by the valleys. Over the course of more than three centuries, we have been to the brink as a congregation not once or twice, but many times. Just think back over the last 325 years. This congregation has survived a revolutionary war, a civil war, two world wars, a typhus epidemic, an influenza epidemic, a COVID epidemic, a Great Depression, a Great Recession, stagflation, inflation, urban decay, urban renewal, and the occasional bad boiler and leaky roof. Our history has not always been a story of moving from strength to strength. So we can surely acknowledge that only God could have carried us this far. And yet, despite all those hardships, 325 years. 
arguably, it has frequently been a story of perseverance. It's no secret that congregations today are working harder than ever in the face of shifting culture to maintain that which has been meaningful to us in the past. And apart from bromides espousing some golden era of the church, our actual history bears out that it has always been an extraordinary work in progress to live into the vision of church as each generation has received it. We remember where we have been even as we peer into a future where the church must ask again and again, what does it mean to be church? What has sustained us in the past is surely instructive for the future that God holds for us. Here we receive the wisdom of the preacher in the letter to the Hebrews. The two short verses we read this morning, grounded in Jesus Christ, offer us an admonition to persevere as we run the race that is set before us. And bear in mind, these two verses don't just plop down from Scripture for our convenient usage on anniversaries and all saints. If we dig deeper into the text, we see that the admonition to persevere actually begins two full chapters earlier, where the preacher exhorts the congregation that it is through the blood of Jesus Christ that they may come into the sanctuary in new and living ways. From there, the congregation is reminded of the great cloud of witnesses, not vaguely, but particularly, name by name. A roll call of the faithful is read. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab. Deep into Israel's family history, the congregation is to go, invited to go back and to remember their past as they look to the future, to a race that is yet to be won, a race that must be run despite the apparent weariness of the runners. One of the great motifs of the Bible, one of the golden threads that connects sometimes confounding and frequently disparate stories is that we trust in a God who is faithful to us despite our failures of faithfulness to God. The memory of who God is and who God has been for our forebears and who God is even now for us defines our future. Because God is who God is, we look into our future, not naively, not fatalistically, but sustained by the hope of God's faithfulness and the hope of the resurrection. Because our past points to our future, we can readily say that our memory is our future. But even as we contemplate what it is to be church, in a day like today when there's so much to look forward to and so very much to remember, I am struck 
by the words of Lady Julia Flight in Evelyn Waugh's masterpiece, Bride's Head Revisited, where she muses, sometimes I feel the past and the future pressing so hard on either side that there's no room for the present at all. And so on a day like today, when we look forward to what God holds for our future, and we remember what God has done in our past, we are the church in the present tense. We are the future, as Laura reminded us recently, that our ancestors could have but dreamed about. And we are the past for those who will, 25 years from now, open the time capsule that our children buried in the vault. But above all, we are the church now and there is urgency to the calling that we have received. Faithfulness to that calling is a matter of perseverance. When being church spans centuries, it is an exercise of doing one thing and then another, faithfully, for a very long time. Being church is an exercise in giving generously, check by check, dollar bill by dollar bill, click by click, as one does now. Being church is one phone call, and then another, and one text, as one does now, and then another, sending one note, and then another. And yes, it is one sermon, and then another, and one trip to the font, and then another, and one joyful feast of the Lord, and then another. Step by step, action by action, love by love, faith by faith, one thing after another. We were reminded recently of the words of Dorothy Day. Keith Carter quoted her when he said, Young people say, what good can one person do? What is the sense of our small effort? They cannot see that we must lay one brick at a time, take one step at a time. We can be responsible for the action of the present moment, but we can beg for an increase of love in our hearts that will vitalize and transform all our individual actions. And know that God will take them and multiply them as Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes. Which brings me, finally, 
to that corrective clause that I wish to add to my very first admonition to you. Being church is resting in and bearing witness to the communion of the Holy Spirit. And the thing about that communion is this. It is the nexus of past, future, present. It is where we are connected to the dreams of those who handed the baton to us and where we embed the hopes the Spirit dares to dream in us for those who will yet come. What a wondrous calling. What a holy undertaking. So, dear cloud of witnesses, let us persevere in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Having heard the word of God preached and proclaimed, we now unite ourselves with believers across time and throughout the world by declaring together what we believe. So come, let us join our voices with this great cloud of witnesses who gathers here with us today, reading from the Scots Confession as it's printed in our bulletin. As we believe in one fa Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, so we firmly believe that from the beginning there has been, now is, and to the end of the world shall be, one church, that is to say, one company and multitude of humankind chosen by God, who rightly worship and embrace him by true faith in Jesus Christ, who is the only head of the church, even as it is the body and spouse of Christ. This Kirk is Catholic, that is universal, because it contains the chosen of all ages and of all realms, nations, and tongues, be they of the Jews or be they of the Gentiles, who have communion and society with God the Father and with his Son, Christ Jesus, through the sanctification of his Holy Spirit. It is therefore called the communion, not of profane persons, but of saints, who as citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem have the fruits of inestimable benefits, one God, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Theologian and civil rights leader, Reverend Howard Thurman speaks of faith as, quotes, keeping alive the dream, saying, for as long as a person has a dream in their hearts, they cannot lose the significance of living. We gather our shared resources together on this day in order to keep alive the dreams for our church, our city, and our world. So come, let us bring forward our gifts and continue to dream together. Our tithes and offerings will now be received.
eternal God, we ask you to bless these gifts that they may be used to enact our dreams for a more generous, compassionate, and peaceful world. Surrounded by so great a cloud of faithful witnesses this day, may we be inspired and empowered to do your loving work in the world. Amen. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the Lord, and Scripture teaches that people will come from east and west and north and south, which is a way of saying people will come from everywhere. And they will gather here at this table where they will, with the believers of every time and place, be united with Christ who calls all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens to come to him and to receive rest. We read from the pages of the gospel that it was at table when the disciples first recognized their risen Lord as he broke bread and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they knew him. And it is even still to this table that Christ's followers are called to come and to know him. So come, dear friends, to this joyful feast. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, O Lord our God, creator and ruler of the universe. We praise you for the saints and martyrs, for the faithful in every age who have followed your Son and witnessed to his resurrection. From every race and tongue, from every people and nation, you have gathered them into your kingdom. You have shown them the path of life and filled them with the joy of your presence. How glorious is your heavenly realm, where the multitude of your saints rejoice with Christ. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels, with prophets, apostles, and martyrs, and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Sent to be our Savior, he took our flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. His words are true, his touch brings healing. To all who follow him, he gives abundant life. When evil sought to destroy him and he lay in the darkness of death, you raised him from the grave. He is our risen Lord forever. Remembering all of your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts you have given us and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. 
accept this our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving as a living and holy offering of ourselves that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ, Christ has died. Christ, Christ is, is risen. risen. Christ, Christ will come again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon this, us, and upon these, your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, unite us with the living Christ and with all who are baptized in his name, that we may be one in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Number us among your saints, O God, and join us with the faithful of every age, that strengthened by your witness and supported by their fellowship, we may run with perseverance the race that is set before us, and may with them receive the unfading crown of glory when we stand before your throne of grace. Give us strength to serve you faithfully until the promised day of resurrection, when with the redeemed of all the ages, we will feast with you at your table in glory. Hear us, O Lord, as we give thanks with particularity for those we have loved who have departed from our midst this year into the more immediate presence of Christ. We thank you for the life of Ada Allen, Jimmy Barfield, Alice Dare Hodges Barfoot, Everett P.M. Beauregard, Ada Bello, Henry Berg Brasso, Gary Breaker, Elio Cherblay, Willie Maud Gardner Cleveland, Janet K. Houston Clinton, Anita Cornwell, Todd Kresge, Scott Curry, Ann Douglas, Molly Dunphy, Joanne Epps J, Audrey Evans D'Angelo, Molly Riley Falcone, Sergeant Christopher Fitzgerald, John Franklin, John Gillespie, Sifu Fred Grant, Guy Green, Jane Germany Harmon, Evelyn Hoyker, Virginia Catherine Campbell Isaacson, Daryl Jarvis, Keith Jefferson, Gwendolyn Jones, David Kammer, Natalie Kim, Lila Kimbler, Makoto Kimura, Sam Klein, Stephen Kohler, Josh Kruger, Marcellus Lloyd, Milt Lunin, Jose Morleo Marcosi, David Weiss Marston, Doris Martin, James McClellan, Raymond McMullen, John Mitchell, Elliot Palay, Stephen Peters, Teresa Powell, Jan Powell, Kenneth Regal, Alan Ross, 
Otto James Roots, Anthony Santinello, Robert Schreier, Margaret Sindel, Norman Snyder, Carl Steele, Richard Stokes, Larry Wayne Tucker, Peter Van Royen, David Veet, Jason Watson, David Wentz. God, with all of these saints, we ask that you join with us now as we offer the prayer that your child taught us, saying, Our Father, who, who art, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night that Jesus was arrested, he gathered with his closest friends in the world for a humble meal. At the end of the meal, he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, saying, this is my body, friends, broken for you. Every time you do this, remember me. In the same manner, after they had supped, he took a cup. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Beloved, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
Eternal God, we thank you for the gift of this meal and that through it you have united us with Christ and with all the faithful who have come before us. Renew us and strengthen us that we may go out into the world to serve you, always remembering that we are yours. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you now and forever. Amen.
go in peace as Christ's beloved, who have been fed at his table, in the sure and certain knowledge that you will return to this table in this life or in the life that is yet to come. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to be the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.